you're listening to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. Welcome to episode six of the Big House Bleachers Podcast. I'm Michael Smeltzer. I'm here with Matt Hartwell. Matt, what's up, man? I'm doing good, man. Always feeling good after the second half, right? We are 9-0. and I mean, what the hell? Like, the season has flown by. Um, we're 9-0. and We're one of the four remaining undefeated teams left. You've got Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, and TCU. And, and we'll get to some of what happened in the national landscape here a little later in the show because... You know, there's a little bit of a changing of the guard going on with Clemson and Bama that I want to talk about. But since this is a Michigan podcast, let's go, you know, let's let's talk a little bit about Michigan first. Um, Where did you watch the game? You watched the game from home and, and uh, you know, how was your viewing experience? I watched the game from home, Mike, and viewing experience was great. I mean, all except for the first half. I think any Michigan fan, like, they might have amnesia of how they were. But I know for me personally, I was uh, feeling really like Maryland-y type vibes (laughs) coming from the game. They hung in there really well, obviously. They they had us at halftime, so... A lot of people sweated, I'm sure. I know I did. And, uh, I mean, other than that, the viewing experience was great. We obviously turned the tide quickly with the two interceptions from Mike Barrett and then uh, quickly erased kind of all of that uh, wrongdoing that we did in the first half just with those two interceptions and turned it around, and it ended up being a great game. Yeah, I'm not... uh... I'm not usually like on Twitter during the games and stuff. That's something that I do in between games. I'm not like active on social media. I I, I tend to, I, I'm like ritualistic about my, my game watching experience. And so I don't really get on social too much during the games, but at halftime I did scroll and I saw something that you tweeted actually. And it was like, it was something along the lines of like, calm down. We're going to make second half adjustments and we're going to be fine. And, intellectually i knew that like i knew like this is what michigan does jesse mentor has proven to be the best in the game at these second half adjustments you know we were tied with indiana at the half we were practically tied with penn state at the half um and so here we are again you know trailing by three against rutgers of all teams at the half and i think of myself as like a super spiritual like level-headed individual that can like take life on life's terms and that but man i fucking spiral when like you know like we're down 17 to 14 at the half and i'm just i'm like we're terrible we're we're not a top 10 team and we're gonna lose three games before the regular season's done and this like why did i get myself excited again like what it, and then of course you were right you know we we did exactly what we've done all year we made the second half adjustments and boy did we i mean my god we'll get into how the the you know the tale of two halves of this game worked out but um yeah man do you want to just jump right in and start talking about the players a little bit yeah i mean first i want to just kind of reference uh ruckers i want to take my hat off to them not literally speaking but um 
I'll take my hat off to Rutgers because they did a really good job of mentally taking Michigan out of this game. I reference Maryland because you saw Maryland's effect that they had on Michigan in the first half of that football game. JJ got very rattled. He got banged up a little bit. Like he had that lost puppy dog look in his eye, kind of like not sure where to go with the offense. And, uh, and in turn, as a fan, you just kind of looked at that and uh, also kind of stressed the direction of the game. But after I had a second to kind of process and calm down a little bit, I remember that this t- this team is the best when it comes to making those second half adjustments. And they did that and dominated the football game rightfully so. And uh, yeah, I'm down to get into it whenever you are, my friend. Well, let's just dive right in. And I thought we would mix it up. Typically, we start with the offense. Um, but I want to start with the defense because, you know, they they were... I know the offense warmed up and scored some points, but the defense were, they were really the star of the show. And one guy specifically, uh, you know, I, I, I can't lead this show with anybody other than Michael Barrett. I mean, he had a career game. He came up with uh, the biggest plays of the game for us and really helped almost single-handedly turn this thing around. It looked like we were going to turn it around anyway, right? Like we didn't necessarily need those pick sixes. Uh, I'm sorry, one pick six and one pick that almost went for six. Um, we didn't really need those to beat Rutgers, but but my God, that was like the the adrenaline boost that the team needed coming out in the third quarter. Um, I, I mean, props to Michael Barrett. My, I mean, my God, what a what a, a just a star breakout. Uh, well, you can't really say breakout. I mean, he's been he's been making plays for years, but. Um, for this season, it was really his breakout performance. Yeah, I thought absolutely the same, Mike. Uh, a career game for him, uh, a pick six, also one that he almost returned for an additional six. And uh, I just kind of, I don't know if you peeped my big uh, bold predictions article that I put out uh, the morning of the game, but I actually... Uh, One of my predictions was that he would have a sack or be involved in a sack. And then I had also predicted uh, that there would be two interceptions. So it was just kind of weird how uh, those two predictions kind of molded together and just became a Mike Barrett super game. So that was I jumped up. I was like, Barrett, yes, amazing. And uh, to just see him get that, um, especially that pick six, it was just amazing. Incredible journey for a guy that's gone from a three-star athlete, quarterback in high school. You know, you weren't really sure where he was going to land in this team or where he was going to fit. And uh, Jim Harbaugh's just kind of continued to find a spot for him, and he's excelled. And uh, congrats to him. Well, I'm going to give you credit for manifesting the Michael Barrett miracle of the third quarter. Um, And just a side note, uh, kind of on a personal note here, I'm going to take some credit for the offensive side of the ball. So my wife brought home a a puppy this week. Um, You know, and I I was begrudgingly like, you know, I didn't really want another dog. We already, we've already got one dog and I I didn't really want another one. And um, I finally was like, okay, like, she showed me a picture. It was cute. I was just like, just go get it. Just go get it. And so, of course, uh, the way that she manipulates me into these, uh, these plans of hers is she lets me name them after Michigan players, right? And so 
she she had thought the name Hutch was really cool. And I was like, I, I, of course, you know, like Hutch has many meanings at Michigan, specifically to the football program. Aiden Hutchinson, like the man, one of the best two or three players we've had in years. So, I, so of course, already I'm in love with this little dog named Hutch. And my wife and I, we always, you know, we're, we're weird. We, we're animal people. We like to give our dogs middle names as well. And so my, my first dog, his middle name is Denard, after obviously Shoelace. And we, we were thinking like Hutch, we were, we were trying to, we were like thinking of players like Hutch, like what's the, the, the other name? And then we came across Edwards. And we were like, oh, Hutch Edwards, that's got a nice little ring to it. And of course, the, the great Braylon Edwards. But, but, you know, this season and the reason we thought of the name was, was Donovan Edwards. So now we've got this new little puppy watching the first game ever. Uh, named Hutch Edwards, and then Donovan just like goes off, right? Like 160 total yards, uh, 109 rushing, and then those two uh, amazing catches, and and that one of them went in the end zone. So that was my long-winded personal story about uh, me taking credit for Donovan Edwards' uh, amazing game last night. So there you go. And that's incredible that uh, you name your dogs after Michigan players because my dog that you always hear barking on this pod's name is actually uh, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, my wife was gonna let uh, so was gonna let me name our baby Woodson, which that just like to anybody listening to the show, it just shows you what a crazed lunatic I am that my wife knows I want to name my my baby after Charles Woodson, but. Of course, we have a girl, so she's like, "No, we're not gonna do. We're not gonna have a girl named Woodson. It was only for a boy." So now my fingers are crossed that uh, number two is a is a boy, so we can add a Woodson to the family. Heck yeah, buddy! You're here. What? Oh, there we go. We digress. We digress. Let's, you know. So first half, Huggers move. Uh, Rutgers moved the ball a little bit. Um, they had that that blocked punt that went for a touchdown, and if you looked. At, you know, I have a, a friend of mine that's an Oklahoma fan, and he texts me th- during the game sometimes. And he he texted me, man, if you look at the box score at halftime, there's no way Rutgers should be up. I mean, Michigan, way more yards, way more first downs, everything. You know, everything was pretty lopsided, but that blocked punt really changes the dynamic of the game. And so it's 17-14 at the half. And then in the second half, uh. Rutgers only had 57 total yards in the second half. So Michigan's defense, Jesse Minter made the, the adjustments again, turned it up. Um, we had players out all over the field. I, I didn't even realize how many guys were going to be out uh, coming into this game, but uh, specifically on the defense, I know Jalen Harrell was out. Um, I don't think Jamon Green played. Did, did Jamon play? Uh, he was out too, right? Yes, he also uh, stayed out, which prompted uh, Will Johnson's start. Right, right. I thought I thought so. And then Makari Page was out. So there, you know, uh, on the on the defensive side of the ball, there's three, there's a guy, uh, a key player at each level that was missing, and that that may have had something to do with our slow start. Um, but let's start with the edge. You know, uh, Mike Morris is the obvious guy to start with. Uh, you know, basically every week for this defense. Um, had had a really good game. I I wouldn't say it was like a Mike Morris great game, 
but he got another sack, right? Maybe, maybe even a sack and a half. I think I saw they only gave him credit for maybe one, but uh, he, I think I saw him get a sack and a half. Yeah, they did end up giving him a sack and a half and just really an all-around great effort from the edge guys, uh, especially uh, given all of the guys that we had out. I mean, Chris Jenkins, I know that he also got in there. He got a sack. And then Braden, Yabi, um, and uh, even Taylor Upshaw, I think, all had tackles for loss, I believe, or uh, or tech tallied some kind of pressure in some way or another, but all of those guys got involved in the game, which was excellent to see. Yeah, and, you know, Mike Morris was his usual self. Uh, Braden McGregor, Iabi Oki, they seemed to be all over the place. They, they didn't really fill up the stat sheet, but I, I feel like every time Rutgers was doing anything in the backfield, those guys were kind of just everywhere. I kept seeing... Uh, just I just kept seeing them fly around, and so you know that that was really good to see because those are the the athletic guys that we know can really get going and kind of back up our stars. And you mentioned Chris Jenkins. I you know I I haven't had to, we we record this pod so soon after the game that I haven't had time to like go back and break down film or anything like that. But just just eye test wise, it to me he it might have been his best game. He had. Um, a lot of really big, impressive plays in this game. I thought the same. I mean, I think the last couple games you can make a case for uh, for Chris Jenkins coming on to really what we thought he was going to be at the beginning of the season, that kind of mutant title that was going around, that people were slinging around for him. And after the first that first game against Colorado State where everybody ate with the sacks, it just kind of fell flat, including Chris Jenkins, I think, for a few weeks. And uh, he's finally kind of resurfaced in the last couple of weeks. It's been amazing. Uh, also, like, I just want to give a shout out. Uh, it's not the edge, but into the defensive line. Cam Goody, I don't think they ended up counting it as a sack, but he swallowed that uh, young Rutgers quarterback on that tackle for loss. It was amazing to see him getting involved. And I just thought a great amount of pressure overall from that defensive line. Yeah, man, that was the quarterback, right? Because I, when I saw that live, I thought that was a sack. And then I saw it was a TFL in the stat sheet. I, uh, that Was that not a sack? It, he, because he that was the I don't believe they the counted screen, it as a right? sack just because of maybe he escaped the pocket or or something to that effect. I'm not sure, but uh, he definitely yeah. Cam Goody swallowed that guy up, slung him down, and then just kind of bowed. It was amazing. I've been waiting to to see him grad transfer. Uh, great mm-hmm. great things touted about him from his previous teams. So awesome to see him getting a little bit of involvement too. Yeah, that one got me got me excited and, and on my feet for sure. Uh, quick trivia question while we're on the D-line and edge. You might know this. Uh, how many rushing yards did Rutgers have in the entire game yesterday? <sighs> I couldn't tell you. I mean, I know that they had right around 160 pass yards, but I don't think I caught, caught the brush yards. They had 14 rushing yards totally. i knew it was something pitiful they reported yeah. it at one point in the game like it was negative one or something like that and i was like jesus but oh my gosh I think, yeah i think i think they had one yard one rushing yard at halftime and then they 
you know, we were kind of getting in a little more into a prevent D towards the end, you know, keeping stuff in front of us. And I think their running backs got a few, but um, that's three games in a row now where we've completely shut down running backs. And I know the haters will say, well, it's Rutgers, like congratulations. Well, it's like, yeah, but Rutgers is a four and four football team that is, you know, not terrible, terrible. Like, like I, I get they're not the best team in the world, but Rutgers. We, we did this I t- mean, Rutgers came to play yesterday. I will give them that with the lights and the strobe light. I mean, it was annoying the fucking shit out of me. Like I tweeted about it several <laughs> times, uh, and then continued to talk shit to them after when the strobe lights disappeared in the second half. But uh, they were they got up for that game. I mean, the fans were loud. Michigan was thrown off a little bit. I was thrown off a little bit. So. They did a good job, but they didn't account for this uh, two-half game that Michigan comes with because it is one of the best in the country. Well, yeah, and, and, and so now, now you're looking at uh, Penn State, who have amazing running backs who have been running all over everybody else. Uh, Michigan State, who came to play, that, that was their Super Bowl, as we know. And then now Rutgers, and I mean, Michigan just ha- hasn't given up any rushing yards. They really haven't given up anything in the second half of these three games. And so we'll get to the offensive side of the ball, and there's some question marks and some struggles. But as far as the defense goes, I, I just don't really have um, any issues. You know, we, we, moving on to the linebackers, we, we talked a little bit about Michael Barrett. Um, I thought it was a quiet, quiet game for Junior Colson. You know, I, I think we've just gotten used to him making 10 or 12 tackles, but that might have been it was just a different dynamic. We had a lot of different guys in there. This game was kind of weird. You know, the whole uh, dynamic of the players on the field, everything was a little weird. So Colson was a a little quiet, but uh, a guy that you've talked about a little bit this season, Jimmy Rolder uh, came up with four tackles. So I thought it was cool to see him. Yeah. Jimmy Rolder was great. And uh, I know uh, Colson kind of dropped off there in the second half, but early on, I mean, he was a force, I believe, registering, I think, one and a half tackles for loss. So he did get some pressure uh, in the first half, which was awesome to see. And also, just to nitpick, uh, to move on to the safeties a little bit, I do want to nitpick this one guy. On the deep pass, one of the deep passes that we gave up to Rutgers, uh, R.J. Moten was a little bit out of position uh, in the the safety as far as the safeties were concerned. Will Johnson got a little bit of the blame for it, for getting beat, but I felt like R.J. Moten could have really been positioned a little bit better. To uh, So there were definitely uh, some things to kind of nitpick about, I felt defensively in this game, uh, aside from the run defense, which was stellar. Well, the guy that's a little bit of a head scratcher in the secondary for me, um, is DJ Turner. Like what, what do you make of the way that DJ Turner has been playing this season? Cause coming into the year, I, I would, I was saying like, if we have one guy that could be an all American, like this is the guy. Um, and he's shown flashes of brilliance this year. It's not like he's played poor, but the nature of being in the secondary is like if you have a bad play or two, like it really gets exposed. Like you don't get to hide in the secondary. Um, what do you make of, of this kind of up and down play that we've seen from him? Well, I hate for um, 
for him to be under the microscope because he has kind of fallen under it. Uh, he's given up some big plays. He's dropped some interceptions, and he did the same in the la- in last night's game. He gave up some big plays. He dropped an interception. So I just hate to see him kind of start to get that Vincent Gray-like tag that we saw Vince Gray get a couple years ago. Um, I mean, the guy's a stellar player. He's just got to kind of harness a couple things. I mean, he's he's supposed to be CB1, you know what I mean? So he's just got to kind of get it together a little bit. And, uh, I mean, no, no love lost to anything that he's done this season. I mean, overall, Michigan secondary has done amazing, and we've allowed very few passing yards, and a lot of that is a tribute to him. But uh, he's just got to tighten some things up in order to to be labeled as the best cornerback on this team. Well, yeah, and, and uh, he's definitely done enough in the games that, that we've seen him. But I think just the nature of, of a, a Michigan fan when you're watching a Michigan game, you see a play and then you're always like, but what will that look like against Ohio State, right? Like, we do it all year long. We, like, see something, and we're like, yeah, but what about Ohio State? And that's just kind of the unfortunate truth for for players when they're playing at Michigan. And the play for me uh, this game was that little fade route uh, in the first half that uh, DJ clearly, you know, got a jersey full on that receiver and it didn't look like he had to like he wasn't completely like burned on the play he was kind of in position but then he he just he just grabbed his jersey it was clearly a, a a pass interference now now the offensive player was pushing off a little bit too there was a little you know but that that happens every play and and so i and and, the, and then it was a touchdown and and like my my thinking there is I mean, Ohio State, say what you want about some of their vulnerabilities. These guys got some receivers, and we know they got some receivers. Like, if, if we're doing that against Rutgers, like, what, you know, it makes me a little nervous about Ohio State. Now, I do have faith that we can make adjustments. Uh, Will Johnson is coming on really strong. He got to rock the turnover buffs yesterday. Jamon Green, who I believe will be back healthy, um, he's going to help out in the secondary a lot. And, and DJ's a stud, but. You know, I'm just a little bit like, ah, you know, if we got to do that against Rutgers, like we we really we better tighten some stuff up before the Buckeyes. Yeah, and for the record, um, the word on the street is that Javon Green will play next week. He did dress for the game; it, he looked like a full go, but they did ended up they did end up holding him out in favor of Will Johnson, which was an excellent decision, but. They do expect him to be back next week, uh, full throttle, I'm assuming, after the tunnel incident. But, and you know, again, just to circle back just real quick on DJ Turner, I know he gets kind of the brunt of it because he's primarily put in place to guard some of these, uh, these first wide receivers on a lot of these Big Ten teams. So I know he gets kind of the shit end of the stick when it comes to who he's assigned to cover. That's why some... Some of Michigan players may look better in coverage than him, but tighten it up a little bit, DJ. We're here for you, but got to get it together. Well, and he he made his own bed because he was like freakishly locked locked down last year, you know. And it's like when you when you just have one of those seasons where you're just kind of a freak, everybody's like, "Oh, you're just, he's going to be even more of a freak." And 
it's not like he got worse. Like he hasn't gotten worse. There's just been a couple, you know, against Michigan State, and like there's just been a couple long balls that got over his head. Like no big deal. He he's still one of the strengths of our defense, no doubt about it. You know, you referenced uh, Jamon almost being like a healthy scratch, like he was a little banged up, but they decided to go with Will Johnson anyway. And that that before we get to the offense, because there's a few players that were missing on the offense too. Um, I've been thinking I. It almost feels like Michigan was just resting guys across the board for this game. Is that because there 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 is like a handful of injuries that you got to believe if we were heading into Columbus, these guys would have suited up. There's like five or six of them that would have suited up and played. Um, I've never really seen. It's almost like a like like Zion in the NBA kind of a situation where it's like, oh, you know, his ankle's not feeling great, so he's just not going to play today. Like, I've never really seen Michigan do that, but it kind of speaks to the nature of college athletics and the way guys are trying to protect themselves to get to the pros. And then in our case, I think it's more just trying to protect themselves for Ohio State and potentially the the college football playoff. But do you get the feeling that, that the coaching staff intentionally just across the board was like, it's Rutgers, like we can probably win this game without a few guys. We're just gonna we're just gonna rest these guys up. I certainly hope that uh, is heavily what leaned into the decision to hold a lot of those guys out. But also, I mean, you can't take anything away from the injuries that we saw on the field during the game. You know, a Luke Schoonmaker banged up. Uh, some of the offensive line, Trevor, Trevor Keegan, um, Ryan mm-hmm. Hayes was held out. I want to know what the deal is with that. Um, you know, so I'm just, I'm really concerned primarily about the status of the offensive line. If it's just kind of an issue where um, they're holding guys out uh, just because it was Rutgers, then I'm fine with that, obviously. But just there's a little bit of concern there uh, long term. Right, I think of all of all the injuries and all the guys that were out yesterday. I think Ryan Hayes is the one that's like most concerning or you know, I I don't know any details, but that's the one that sticks out that's like, "Oh man, like that's that's a big deal." Like, you know, Michigan fans know we're more so than most fan bases, like we know the importance of a strong offensive line because we've experienced what it's like when you don't have one. And then we've experienced what it's like when you have the best in the country. Um, so Ryan Hayes, I'll be curious to see. And then, um, yeah, Trevor Keegan got banged up. He went to the tent. You know, he was walking like gingerly. And so it, 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 I, I'm, I have no idea. I'm not a, you know, kinesthesiologist or anything. Like I don't know the anatomy of what's going on in his leg, but it looked like, all right, you know, walk it off for a few days, a little extra ice, and he'll be back next week. And, you know, maybe sit out for a week if he has to. Like, so it it didn't look crazy serious, but you just hope that um, these injuries don't accumulate because you don't want to you don't want to go into uh, that Illinois game banged up because they're they're still a strong and scary team, and you don't want to go into Columbus banged up. That's for sure. Yeah, 100%. So I know uh, they definitely, It's it seemed like a lot of young guys were getting the go. I saw Colston Loveland early on in the game uh, getting the first couple snaps at least at, uh, at tight end. So he was in there and it looked like they were trying to get a lot of young guys run. You referenced Jimmy Rolder 
Um, so, and then of course, at the end of the game, a slew of young guys were getting in there. So I think a lot of it probably has to do with just, uh, kind of trying to keep them out of the Rutgers game. They kind of maybe realized that they needed some guys a little bit longer in the Rutgers game. And, uh, and we paid the penalty a little bit for that, but, um, but hopefully nothing too serious and going into next week. Well, yeah, it's one of those situations where I, I don't think the coaching staff overlooks or underestimates Rutgers, right? I think Harbaugh is one of those guys that knows. I mean, hell, this is Greg Schiano, right? Like these guys probably have NFL ties, right? Like these guys know each other. He knows it's not going to be an easy game. But you, you, do, you do get the feeling that we have a, a long-term goal for this, this program and we're really thinking about what happened against Georgia last year. And we're, and we're thinking about, like, how do we get over that hump? And so it seems like some of these decisions were made with that goal in mind. Um, all right, so we talked about the offensive line a little bit, or at least the injuries. Uh, and those guys obviously protect the quarterback position, which is what we would typically lead the show with. Um, J.J. McCarthy, QB1, comes out. Uh, First couple plays of the game, he's slinging it, right? We're all, I like, I don't know about you, but I'm like, okay, like, here we go. Like, they're going to let him, let him loose a little bit. And then who, who's one of the first guys he slings it to? Andrell. And it's like, okay, here we go. You know, so Ro- Roman Wilson was, was one of these guys that sat. Um, again, I don't know the details. Hopefully he's, he's back very, very soon, but he's one of these guys on offense that sat. Um, and Andrell, who after Michigan State last year is a little bit of a fan favorite, uh, got that 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 you know little out. Um, Blake Corum runs for that touchdown that gets called back, and then he ends up getting in. So we know the running game is there. It's like it's like we kind of know it's there if we need it. And um, and then you know the, the the play that sticks out the most that from a not positive standpoint has got to be that bomb to Andrell, right? Like wide open, once again, JJ overthrows the receiver. Um, and and I know that there's no consolation prizes for an incompletion, but it feels like he's getting closer, right? Like he didn't he didn't overthrow him by two yards. He overthrew him by like a, a couple feet, and Andrell just missed it. But like, what was going through your head when you when you see a wide open Andrell Anthony get get overthrown by JJ? Oh, I wanted it for him so badly. Um, and you could tell he wanted it so badly the way that uh, that it went off of his fingertips and then he bobbled it a little bit. Like it was just kind of sitting there in front of him and then he clawed at the ground, you know, like as the ball bounced away from him. Like it was just kind of really tragic in that moment because these uh, opportunities for him and this offense come so few and far between. And... Ultimately, I think that him and JJ's connection just struggles a little bit. You haven't seen that same issue um, that JJ has with Andrell with other receivers. I think at the end of the day, it's just going to come down to Andrell Anthony sticking around here at Michigan for another year and the two of them figuring it out and some of these older guys leaving. Um, whether or not if that happens, hopefully Andrell Anthony is patient and uh, and just kind of and just kind of sees the growing pains, but it was painful to watch him not get that catch, you know, and, um, and certainly they, they were spreading the ball around a lot. Like I wanted to, 
say something on Twitter, but I didn't want to take a lot of heat from everybody about it. But uh, like, make no mistake, like Michigan was throwing the ball around last night and just there were there was a lot of meat on the bone. A lot of receivers didn't come down with it. I mean, we we threw the ball at uh, a decent amount of times. There was a there were some plays to be made, some opportunities to be had. So um, it's just we need to get some of it together. It just comes down to some of those offensive woes that Michigan has to get better at. They're still an excellent, excellent offensive team. But uh, it's clear that there's just a few, few non-connections there in the offense. Well, yeah, and I, I'm not like concerned about JJ. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't ever, I don't ever watch a game, and I'm like, well, maybe, maybe JJ's not it. You know, like that's not happening at all in my mind. I think what we're seeing is JJ's missed some downfield throws. They would just blow these games wide open, right? And he's a sophomore. We got to remember he's a little bit young, but he's looked great. Like he's he's been incredibly accurate for the most part. Um, yeah, I mean statistically, coming into this game, he was the most accurate passer in the country. Um, but we know those long balls downfield. He's just missed some guys. He's missed some open guys this this year. But uh, to me, if we start hitting those plays then Michigan is the best team in the country, period. Uh, that, that is the one thing that's holding us back behind, really the only team that looks good right now uh, other than Michigan is Georgia, right? Uh, but if, if Michigan starts hitting those 30, 40-yard bombs down the field when they, you know, somebody gets behind the secondary, then Michigan's going to be the best team in the country. We saw J.J. use his legs again. Uh, to, to extend drives, which was which is that X factor we didn't have really last year when when Cade was in the game, uh, and then Quorum was struggling to get in down low in the first half, and that that QB sneak by JJ, uh, that that was something special. It's, it's like a playmaker uh, play because he got stopped. I mean, he that, that that our quarterback got he got stopped a full yard short of the end zone, and. And he just twisted and manipulated his body and like flew over the goal line kind of backwards. A heck of a one yard run. So um, make no mistake. Like, so his numbers were 13 of 27 for 157 yards. Very underwhelming. But two passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown. That's enough to get the job done. If he hits one or two of those bombs downfield, um, then he's well into the 200s, 250 range for passing, and that's kind of that what we're missing. Uh, the other one that stuck out to me was that Luke Schoonmaker in the end zone. That, I mean, shit. I for a full second I thought it was a completion, right? Like like Schoonmaker had that. It was a dime. He just dropped a dime. Um, I don't know. Those were the ones that stuck out to me. What what else about JJ's performance? you know kind of stuck out to you or are you thinking about there there was honestly a few and i don't take anything uh for the lack of production away from jj mccarthy because he did amazing as far as i'm concerned he again did everything that was asked of him he lit it up he got in some stressful situations in the first half there uh but he he did very well and I think a lot of those passes were like dead on, like to Schoonmaker. There was another one to Cornelius Johnson that like, 
I mean, it was a risky throw and double coverage, don't get me wrong, but JJ literally hit Cornelius in between these uh, two guys in coverage, and uh, it ended up getting pried out of his arms or something like like during the ball catching, but... JJ was right on the money on a lot of those throws. I think the throw to Andrell could have even been pulled down by possibly another more experienced receiver. It wasn't too far off of him. Like I said, it hit him in his fingertips. Uh, But, you know, I think JJ did incredible in this game and uh, just exactly what you want to see from your starting quarterback, especially going down in that situation in halftime. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, we saw Ronnie Bell have another spectacular catch that didn't count. Uh, I'm, of course, referring to the one on the sideline where he, like, floated through the air. Where he landed on down the toe? To... Yeah, yeah, and and, and he uh, d- it was out, and it didn't count. But I feel like that's just, like, an every-game occurrence now is that Ronnie Bell uh, pulls down a catch that would be, like, a sports center top 10 play, and then it just doesn't count because it's either, you know, it's just, like, out of bounds or the ball moved as he was going to the ground. Like there's a lot of really, really close ones, even going back to Western Michigan last year, that uh, pass interference, offensive pass interference call. So we, we've seen a lot of that out of Ronnie, but um, no issues with him. I mean, I, I think he even dropped, dropped one yesterday, but it, that, that, that is, to, it's to be forgiven. Ronnie Bell is clearly our guy. Um. You know, we kind of naturally moved on to the receivers. So, you know, you mentioned uh, Schoonmaker got banged up. We saw a little Colston Loveland, which was good. But, that you know, Amarion Walker and Tyler Morris both got targets yesterday. And Tyler Morris actually came down with the catch. So those are some guys we haven't seen. Um, and, and that was kind of exciting, right? We, seeing this next wave of, of Michigan playmakers. Yeah, I mean, and that just goes back to what I was talking about. Though that talk... One of those targets to Omarion Walker came very early in the first quarter, I believe. One of the first, I mean, snaps, I think, on the first uh, drive. So it was just, I think that Michigan was kind of trying to go a little bit conservative, but still, just you saw a lot of the playmaking abilities of some of these young Michigan guys. I mean, Omarion Walker, uh, CJ Stokes was back in action, flexing his muscles a little bit. Uh, he almost did fumble again, but he, uh, dude, dude, that, <laughs> yeah. If that one would have hit the ground, Mike Hart would have sat his ass yeah. down, man. Did He's you see lucky. when he was running back to the sideline and he ran up next to coach Hart? I, it was like, I wonder what he's saying to him under his breath right yeah. now. <laughs> well, luckily he almost scored, right? Like he recovered that and he almost, he almost scored on that play. Um, but, you know, let me ask you something that kind of sticks out. We're talking about a lot in college football has been changing. And, you know, Michigan takes a lot of criticism because sometimes we don't change with the times like every other program. But it feels like we're, we're trying to. And when we look at Omarion Walker getting a, a, a target and Tyler Morris getting a catch in the first quarter of the game yesterday, do you think that that happens without the transfer portal? You know, it almost feels like these guys are like, we got we got to get him a couple catches before the year's over or we're going to lose this guy. I certainly think there is some pressure to uh, to do that. And, you know, I don't uh, you know, it's that's an interesting question because I've never really looked at it that way. But 
It's interesting to think that uh, they might be feeling the pressure to get some of these guys more targets. You know, I mean, with Roman Wilson out, like they immediately like didn't hesitate to put Andrell in there and like give him a bunch of I th- I thought they gave Andrell a certainly a decent amount of attempts, whether it uh, be throwing the ball to him or or some creative package with him running the ball like they they tried to give him some things that they would give to Roman Wilson. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it certainly seems like they're trying to force it a little bit sometimes with some of these guys. But uh, I don't know. An interesting point. Yeah, you know, and I don't think Harbaugh is going to put anybody on the field that doesn't earn it, right? Like that, these guys clearly have had some good practices and they've earned their way onto the field. And so I'm, I'm not suggesting that he would just plant somebody on the field because they're, you know, have a certain amount of stars next to their name or something. But, but it does feel a little bit like in in today's day and age, you just got to get these guys on the field early, a, a hell of a lot earlier than you did in like the '80s and '90s, right? A lot. It used to be like if you're a freshman, you just weren't playing unless you were like a, a complete stud. So there's a little bit of that. Um, yeah, you mentioned getting Andrell the ball, and it, it reminded me. Uh, we we tried a couple end arounds, which I've been wanting to see. We got AJ Henning on an end around, and then we got Andrell on a little reverse, and uh, they didn't go anywhere at all. Like they didn't work at all. And so I don't know if if the blocking out front was just poor. It looked like I think Schoonmaker might have missed a block on one of them, but uh, yeah, that didn't work. That was a little weird. Yeah, just uh, kind of just some stuff that looked like. Um... I mean, in this last game, it's justifiable because it all looked like stuff that they would have ran with Roman Wilson in the game, just in that position. Like, it kind of just looked like a plug-and-play. Like, they just ran plays for Andrell that they that would have normally been designed for Roman Wilson. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Just uh, forcing a little bit of stuff there, it seemed like. All right, well, let's, you know, it's kind of funny that we have kind of saved our Heisman candidate uh, for last here. We've talked about the entire team. Um, Blake Corum, and not not just Blake for Heisman, but just Michigan's program in general had a lot going on in the national landscape during this game. It was kind of fun to experience. So here's here's what's going on, right? In the afternoon... Hendon Hooker and Tennessee are getting torched by Georgia, right? CJ Stroud uh, and Ohio State can't play in the wind, right? Like we, they're like Northwestern's giving them a run for their money, and and we're gonna talk about that in a second because I I'm excited to talk about that. And so CJ Stroud and Hendon Hooker, their their Heisman campaigns are just losing steam because they're they're having poor games, and then. I'm saying to myself, well, Blake Corum, man, if he just gets 100 yards and gets in the end zone a couple times, like he, he damn near becomes the front runner at this point. And sure enough, uh, we didn't see him much in the second quarter. He was, <laughs> once again, he, he, he puked on the sidelines early in the game. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if he just gets too amped or what. He pukes on the sideline, and we don't see him much in the second quarter. I think they're trying to rehydrate him. They get Donovan some touches. Um, but sure enough, he ends the game with 109 yards. It's his fifth or sixth 100-yard game in a row and a couple touchdowns, and he now leads the nation with 16 touchdowns. Um, is, 
you know, we talked about this last week, how he was close, but those other two guys were in the conversation. Is Blake Corum now the front runner for the Heisman Trophy? A hundred percent. I think he, uh, he has been, you know, for a couple weeks now. And that's really not to, to, I, I don't even really feel that it's so much biased of Blake Corum as it is just really like a lack of dominant, uh, players in the college landscape right now, you know, and that's, and just what we saw from CJ Stroud and Hendon Hooker yesterday is just not justifiable of a Heisman candidate, you know, and obviously they'll fall off, but you just can't make a case for a more consistent, dominant player in college football right now who is more valuable to their team than Blake Corum. And it's just ridiculous. I tweeted it out after those ridiculous games with Ohio State and Northwestern and uh, Tennessee and Georgia um, exactly to the effect of, uh, so when Blake Corum brushes over 100 yards and two touchdowns after this game, is he the clear Heisman front runner or not? <laughs> because that's exactly what was going to happen. It did happen. And what's left to say about it now other than Blake for Heisman? Yeah, and did you see the graphic that they put up during the game comparing his numbers to Derrick Henry? Uh, I know Reggie Bush was on there. Mark Derek Ingram. Derrick Henry, Reggie Bush, and I think Mark Ingram, right? Yep. And it, it compared him to, at, at this point in the season during both of their, or all three of their uh, campaigns, um, and Blake Corum had more yards and more touchdowns than all three of those guys. And we we think of them as like, Kind of the uh, in the last twenty five years, that's it's really like the three best college running backs, right? And and so I know Blake Corum's small, and and uh, haters like to hate for whatever reason. I've seen a lot of Blake Corum hate about him not not even being you know better than Bajon Robinson or or Chase Brown, which that's all garbage. Like Blake Blake Corum, I, I don't care what you say that. He's the best running back in the country this year. He he just is. He, you know, early on in the season, there were about four or five guys that were they were in the conversation, and Corum was one of them. And he wasn't clearly the best. You know, everybody's kind of working through. And now at this point in the season, when the rubber meets the road, Corum's the number one running back in the country. I'll be ex- extremely surprised if he doesn't get invited uh, to NYC this year. And if 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 he finishes strong in these last three games and, and particularly in Columbus and, and we get a W there, Michigan could, uh, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but they could add their fourth Heisman Trophy winner in history. And that, that's something to be, uh, you know, really excited about. Yeah, 100%. And he's right up there with all of the names and college lore. I mean, all he's really missing is a signature moment against uh, Ohio State, obviously, where he's the featured back and he just runs all over him. And honestly, if we're being completely honest, um, after yesterday's performances, and if uh, if oh, I think no matter what the outcome of Michigan Ohio State, I wouldn't be shocked if Blake Corum ended up getting close to winning it anyway, just because I know that Blake's going to have a fire ass game against Ohio State. You know what I mean? Where so he so Blake's just going to have a consistent over a hundred yards per game game in every single game like since week three 
You know what I mean? And uh, and CJ Stroud's not going to have those kind of numbers to compare it to, even in a scenario where Ohio State were to beat Michigan. So I just, I'm thinking that you're going to have trouble keeping it away from him at this point. Well, yeah, and the funny thing is, you know, I've heard people point to uh, the quality of competition. And those three non-conference games that everybody gives Michigan a hard time about playing, Corum didn't even, you know, he was like, he, he sat by the third quarter, didn't get a lot of carries. Uh, we all know he could have gone for 250 yards against each of those three teams, right? So, like, if we would have been feeding him the ball during those games, we, we'd be talking about, like, a 2,000-yard rushing season. Um, but anyway, we'll, we can get off our, our soapbox here, but you're, you're probably going to hear us talk about this every week. Blake Definitely Corum for Heisman. <laughs> there you go. But yeah, hold on. I don't want to take, Mike, anything away before we move on from our guy, Donovan Edwards. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you know, the I man mean, was just had a legendary performance. Um, it's not every game that he hangs with Blake and grabs over 100 yards, but just an amazing outing from him at the running back position getting – I think just as many yards on the ground as Blake, uh, not registering a touchdown on the ground, but grabbing one through the air. The guy is just an absolute X factor for this offense. And it's just, uh, I don't know where we would be without him. I don't know if we would be as dynamic as, uh, as we are without him just occasionally running out and lining up at wide receiver every now and then. Well, yeah, when JJ was struggling to get uh, completions. Who did they go to? They they went to to Donovan Edwards. Like that, he was the guy that actually um, got us through a little bit of a rough patch uh, through the air. And then this is the second game now where Blake Corum was having a Heisman caliber rushing performance. And then kind of as an afterthought, we put Donovan in, and we're, we're just like, okay, let's spell Blake for a little bit. And then he gets as many yards, right? Like that happened in that crazy lightning and lightning game a couple weeks ago uh, against Penn State. And then, uh, sure enough, tonight you, or yesterday, you look at the uh, the box score and 109 yards on less carries than Blake Corum. So yeah, we we truly do have the best running back duo in the country. I know some guys at Texas or you know, but like honestly, th- this is the best duo in the country on the ground. Um, so yeah, and then and then we got to see uh, Stokes, Gash, and Dunlap. A little bit, which was fun. I, I really enjoy when we get to go a little deeper into our bag and 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 see a few of these other guys. Um, Davis Warren, we, we got to see him. What do you think about his legs, man? Like Davis Warren looked like a little mini JJ out there for a second. He, he scrambled for a couple first downs. I fucking love Davis Warren. Anytime he comes out there, you know, obviously every, anytime he's out there, it's at the tail end of the game. We're like torching him by uh, however many points, but uh, he gets out there and he gets after it, man. Just like it's any other game. Just uh, I want to see him like, I, I mean, I don't want to see him in a clutch situation because that wouldn't mean good things. But uh, the guy like is is good at what he does at the quarterback position, and I love seeing him out there drilling receivers and getting completions and taking off for twenty yards and all the stuff that comes with Davis Warren. Yeah, and you know that's a guy that easily could have been fifth on the depth chart coming into the year, and now you know for a, a couple of different circumstances that we don't have to get into now, 
uh, he's earned, he, he truly has earned the backup quarterback position. It's not like, oh, default, you know, like he's just the default number two guy. It's like, no, he, he's earned it, and I feel comfortable with him in that position. Um, let me all right, let's go around the. Let country. me ask you this yep. real quick, Mike, because uh, we didn't see Cade McNamara get out in the game at uh, backup instead of Davis Warren. And I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I believed McNamara to be healthy. I mean, do you think that uh, that that means anything? What's your opinion on that? Yeah, it definitely does mean something. He's done. He's done. We, we've seen Cade McNamara play his last game as a Michigan Wolverine. Uh, hats off to, to Cade. He, he's the man. I mean, he uh, literally in, in, the, in 2020 when uh, the, our program was in shambles, he came in and gave us a little bit of hope against Rutgers, actually. Got us the Big Ten Championship last year. Came in as the QB one this year. Uh, but <clears throat> the writing was on the wall. JJ was going to be the number one guy. And then the injury just added a dynamic to this. And so here's what I think. Any other quarterback in Cade's position would have probably already entered the transfer portal. But as, as a team captain and as uh, a leader of this team and a true Michigan man, he stuck around with his guys to see this season through. He's showing le- leadership from the locker room. And uh, he's still a, a valuable asset of this team. but. Cade's one of those like lunatic competitors that believes he's going to be the next Tom Brady. Like I, I fully believe that Cade thinks he's the next Tom Brady, um, and I'm, I don't even doubt the guy. Right? Like he, for he, for all we know, he could be, but he he knows that his his best chance at a pro career is is no longer at Michigan, and I think he's just saving himself. I don't think we're going to see him play again. I think, uh, I, I mean. Knock on wood, you know, JJ stays healthy all, all year and, and he's, he's good. But I think Davis Warren and Alex Orgy are, are kind of the one-two punch that we would play with uh, as a backup. And, and I, I, I just think Cade's done. Yeah, I think so. Agreed. I, I'm just more curious if uh, he goes the route of transfer or if he just uh, rolls the dice and enters the combine, you know, and tries his luck, you know, uh, training his body for the remainder of the season and just showing what he can do to scouts in the meantime. You know, I almost wonder if uh, if he would would take another year of eligibility and go go elsewhere at another school, you know, who knows? He's going to transfer, I think. And I, I mean, I'm not an insider. I don't have any, like, I don't, I don't really know. Um, but the best part of his game is the intangibles, not the tangibles, right? Not the measurables. And so I don't, he's, I don't see him as a combine guy, right? Like I don't see his draft stock going up in the combine. And for that reason, I think he's going to get probably some good advice, which is you got, you they're going to need to see more on tape because even in our Big Ten championship season, he made some plays, but we all saw what happened, right? Like Hassan Haskins and, you know, like the, the, that the, the, the makeup of that team was not an NFL-style quarterback running the show. And so, yeah, I think with Cade, um, I'll be the biggest Cade fan in the world, man. I think we, we'll pro- we might – 
I think he's from he's from Nevada, right? Like West Coast. So I think we might see him head back to the West Coast somewhere. Maybe maybe hit a Pac-12 school. I don't I don't really know. Um, but you know what? I really want I really want him to get a national championship ring for sticking around with this team. I I think that would be really special to see. And and actually, if that happens, um. If we get a ring this year, I, I would give Cade's impact on the team. I would I would put it right up there with any single player that played all season long this year because it would really be a two year championship, right? Like we we started the grind last year, and and we're gonna finish it this year. Absolutely, got me uh, emotional over here about Cade, man. I like I like I just love the dude. I, I love really do. Cade. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, Ohio State outgained, outgained by the one win Northwestern Wildcats. How I don't many give a wins? shit. I don't give a shit if it's windy out. You know what I mean? Like we had to hear that about the snow last year. Um, so what? I mean, yeah, it, I, I will admit that the wind was gnarly. Like that game, that game looked crazy i saw i saw kickers trying to kick field goals and the ball went straight up in the air and just stopped and went straight down uh but with that being said i mean come on it like come on if you if if you can't go out there and and rush for 400 yards you know on the ground in a windy game against northwestern then then what the heck are you doing man so i now i'm hoping that in columbus during the michigan michigan state game that we just get uh, you know, freezing, windy rain because I think our guys will go out there and and embrace it. And and it it seems like these Ryan Day teams are not built uh, for these weather games. Yeah, and you know you've got uh, C.J. Stroud who's allergic to the run. Obviously, he uh, had this little breakout moment towards the end of the game where uh, he put some space but in the score where he ran all the way down the field on a, on a blown blown assignment probably from Northwestern but uh regardless he got to run all the way down the field it was painful to watch but um I mean other than that just a terrible performance by uh by Ohio State's offense and when you look at the numbers it's pitiful when you talk to their fan base, they're blaming the weather. I mean, and it's like you said, it, it is what it is. The weather was bad, but both teams at the end of the day have to play in the same weather. And if you can't play Midwestern football in Midwestern weather, what are you doing in the Big Ten? You're going to get clowned in late November when it's really cold and really muggy. I really hope that the college football playoff committee, when they do the 12 team expansion, they keep their original idea, which is to have uh, home games in the 12 team playoff. That, that's the initial model. Now, the SEC teams are whining about that because that, they don't want to play in uh, Ann Arbor and Columbus and Minnesota and Wisconsin. Like, but, but like, man, I really want to get these, uh, these SEC teams you know, up into the Midwest in, in, in the postseason. That would be great. So anyway, we're going to get to see this Michigan and Ohio State game. I've seen a lot of Ohio State fans backing up a little bit now um, about their confidence going into that Michigan game. Uh, I, I will 
I don't want to say respect because I don't res- really respect Ohio State, but I but I, I do right. Like I res- I respect their talent and I respect the team and I know it's going to be a grind and it's going to be on the road at the horseshoe. So I'm I'm not walking into that game cocky or arrogant or anything like that. But I like what I see and I like our chances. Yeah, agreed. And I think that uh, that once again, it's a game that's going to match up very well for Michigan. I don't know that for a fact, but I think that um, that things are are playing out as they should for for uh, the Wolverines, and that fans should be uh, optimistic about what they're seeing. I mean, don't take nothing away from these first half performances, because really, as far as we all know, it's it's just an illusion. I mean, Michigan is just getting these guys tired like what whoever their opponent is they're just letting them exhaust themselves in this first half and then just playing a, like a whole new game a whole new team in that second half and just blowing the wind out of them so it's been electric to watch them can't wait to see how the rest of it unfolds Elsewhere in the Big Ten, uh, Sparty gets a win and not just any win Sparty takes down the 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 reigning uh, sitting in the throne first place team in the in the Big Ten West the Illini uh, twenty three to fifteen um, you know whatever like props to them good win I, you got eight guys suspended which may have helped the team right like you get you get these guys off the team that may may have some some attitude issues right and and you got guys that are hungry and want to play the game the right way and. And uh, Mel Tucker and Michigan State go go and get a big win. Irritated the hell out of me because it just I was looking at Illinois as that uh, resume builder right before Ohio State. And so what Michigan State essentially did to us was they made it very unlikely that a one loss Michigan team can make the college football playoff. Because if if Illinois would have kept winning and been a, a 10, 11, 12 team and we beat them heading into the Columbus and then we and then we. Yeah, I, I hate to say say these words out loud, but then we dropped the game in Columbus. Michigan could still get into the playoff. Now that seems it seems like there's a pretty outside chance of that happening. We would have to see, you know, these Pac-12 teams beat each other up. We would have to see the SEC uh, lose some games, and then the, even the Big Twelve would have to, you know, we'd have to see some some drops there. So. So yeah, um, Sparty gets gets a win. What what is your reaction to that? I was disgusted, especially because I really wanted Illinois to pull it out and build that Michigan resume a little bit. But of course, we can't have it that way. The Big Ten West is terrible. Uh, so Illinois dropped it, and uh, and I was angry. But there is a team in the Big Ten that helped our resume yesterday, and that is the Penn State Nittany Lions. Now, they weren't playing a powerhouse. They were playing Indiana, but they demolished Indiana. They absolutely destroyed them. I, I don't have the score in my notes, but I remember uh, it, it was a lot to a little. They just blew through them the whole game. So if Penn State continues to win and win impressively with losses to Michigan and Ohio State, they could potentially be – what the highest ranked two loss team or one of the highest ranked two loss teams. And so going into the final week of the season, uh, if Penn state can be a top 10 team that helps our chances a lot. 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think the biggest problem is that Penn State, we're not going to see them rise too high just because a lot of those higher ranked teams going down, I still think that the committee is going to try to keep them in the top 15, which is, of course, not going to do anything for Penn State's ranking. But I mean, just an impressive win by Penn State and just furthering I mean, you could say what you want about Michigan's schedule and Penn State being the only great win on it, but Penn State being the only great win on it is still a great win. So, I mean, you got to take that into consideration. Penn State's blowing everybody out that they're playing except for uh, the two teams ranked in the top five right now. So, I mean, make an argument, you know, make an argument for keeping Michigan and their resume out when uh, when their highest ranked resume member continues to dominate its competition. Well, and it's helpful that we blew them out, right? Like we 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 destroyed them. So if if Penn State's sitting at let's say let's say they went out and they're sitting at number 10, I think I think that's a realistic situation, a 10 and two Penn State team sitting at number 10. This isn't is it, when you start to gauge like, well, where is Michigan? Are they number four, number five, number six? And granted, we're only going to have that conversation if they lose to Ohio State or Illinois. If they if they if Michigan wins out, they'll probably get the one seed, maybe the two seed, depending on what Georgia does. Um, but if you're looking at Penn State as as a number 10 team in the country and Michigan beat the shit out of them. Well, then you got to say, well, Michigan's not number seven, eight or nine. Right. Like they're. Yeah, you know, I, I think that that helps us. Um, Maryland did not help us. Maryland lost to Wisconsin. Uh, Iowa did help us. Iowa beat Purdue, right? So we, we have all these kind. but I think, I think the Maryland loss hurts us more than the Iowa win helps us because the committee and, and fans and everybody, they kind of look at the, those top few teams and Maryland had a chance to wiggle their way into the rankings. And so the big 10, we're going to find out, I think, in bowl season if it's just a bunch of shitty teams or if, if they're just beating each other up. I, I, I honestly don't know at this point. Um, Michigan and Ohio State are good, and I don't really know about everybody else. Um, but, yeah, as far as the Big Ten goes, you know, anything else that, that stuck out to you? No, not really. But I was also angry with the Maryland loss. Obviously, if they would have win, I feel like they would have entered the top 25 uh, just because Wake Forest and NC State also played who are kind of in those lower ranks of, of ACC remnants that are still in, in the playoff rankings. So one of them obviously lost. I think it was Wake Forest, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but uh, but they would have dropped out, obviously, making room for new blood and new conferences to enter. Uh, so Maryland kind of shot themselves in the foot there, shot us in the foot. Uh, so did Illinois. But I mean, my biggest takeaways, I think, uh, are just we'll just see where it goes. You know, it always kind of seems like this at this state of the Big Ten in the year, but uh, but come bowl season, the Big Ten always blows out all of its respective competitions. So we'll see. Yeah, it's just that unattractive style of football that ends up actually winning some games. Um, moving to the national stage, as I predicted two weeks ago on the Big House Bleachers podcast, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish 
blew out uh Clem- I didn't predict that they would blow them out, but I predicted they would beat Clemson and uh that was a fun week of of Clemson fans jawing at Michigan fans on social media about who's better because as mo- most people know Clemson got the number 4 spot in the in the first college football playoff ranking. Michigan was number 5, which was I mean, I don't even I I really don't know how anybody can make that argument based on the way those two teams have played on the field. Uh but we we didn't have to wait long to see the truth of the matter, right? Clemson got exposed by a three-loss Notre Dame team. They got destroyed. Clemson is uh and tell me if you agree with me. They are out of it. They are out of it. They can they cannot make the college football playoff. You that you, you, you can't get beat that bad this late in the season uh by a team with three losses and make the this the CFP. Yeah, I would say Clemson's out of it. And I mean, we've seen crazier things, but I would really say Clemson's out of it just because I think at this juncture two SEC teams probably stand more of a chance than making it outside of Clemson making it uh, with with the loss to Notre Dame. Just because, now that I think that the other will happen uh, either because the SEC has kind of fallen off, but again, crazier things have happened. I'm sure the committee's licking their chops at two-loss LSU like, oh my gosh, we're going to push them right to the sixth spot or something. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised, right? Like, I wouldn't be surprised. They're probably looking at an undefeated TCU and a two-loss LSU team about the same, which is just, you know, just SEC bias. But um, I, I do think that all these things are going to shake out and, and even out by the end of the season. But I can tell you one of those SEC teams that is not going to make it um, – Bama. So Bama loses to LSU, uh, as we mentioned, um, in a remarkable game, right? Like I, I despise Brian Kelly, but I, I was the biggest LSU fan at the end of that game for a moment. They went for two. They didn't have to. They went for two on the first overtime. And uh, sure enough, they won the game with a really ballsy call and they knocked off Bama. And now we, we've been referencing this on, on the Big House Bleachers pod for a few weeks now. But but this week represents a changing of the guard in college football. Clemson and Bama, who have been the most dominant teams of the past decade, simultaneously uh, got knocked out, of, in my opinion, got knocked out of the college football playoff conversation. Um, Georgia seems to be the new Bama, at least for the time being. And then Michigan and Ohio State seem to be very much in the conversation of who's the most dominant team in the country. So, uh, take a deep breath, my friend. It feels good. Doesn't it? Uh, Bama and Clemson are out of the equation. It does feel great. And it really opens up the door for a lot more diversity in this four team playoff for however much longer we have it. You know what I mean? Because, uh, for the first time it won't, won't have Clemson or Bama, but at the same time, like it could, it could hold two Big Ten teams. It could hold Oregon. It could house TCU. You know what I mean? There's all these new players and faces that could be entering the top four uh, by the end of the season, or at least have a chance. You know what I mean? Like like Oregon and TCU, they might fall apart like they sometimes do, but, uh, the, but there's an, all the opportunity in the world for some of these other players to have their shot or argument at getting into the college football playoff, and it's great to see. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that Tennessee really, really hurt their chances yesterday as well because it was a 27-13 to 13 game, but it was 27-6 to 6 for, for the most of the game. It was pretty lopsided. They didn't look very good. Now, you know, if it comes down to Tennessee and Oregon, you, you look at that Georgia game uh, that where Georgia just beat the shit out of Oregon early in the season, and you think, okay, well, Tennessee might have the, the upper hand on Oregon, especially being in the SEC. Um, you got USC and UCLA that are still hanging around. U- Utah has two losses, so they don't really have a chance. But the, the Pac-12 is weird because Oregon, USC, UCLA, and Utah are all just kind of They've all just kind of been floating there in that, uh, you know, that seven to twelve range, and it kind of feels like whichever one of them makes it out alive uh, might have a shot at the fourth spot. But uh, yeah, Tennessee is is going to be on the outside looking in. They better be on the outside looking in. Uh, you know, TCU better get in. Yeah, to me, it's this is the most obvious week of rankings that the CFP can have. You have to have Georgia number one, most likely. And, and then you got to have Michigan and Ohio State at 2-3 in, in some order. I don't know which. Uh, they're going to put Ohio State at two. We, we know they're going to put Ohio State at two. But you can make an argument there. And then TCU has to be four. You got you to gotta give credit for a team that stays undefeated. You have to. So if you want to put Tennessee at five, I'm okay with that. Um, but you got to have the. There's literally four undefeated teams in the Power Five right now, or in the nation right now. Those are your four playoff teams as it stands right now. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. And then on the outside looking in, I mean, I'm sure we'll see Oregon. They've been uh, very, they've been very uh, dominant of their schedule lately. Typical Oregon fashion late in the season. So I mean, they're going to make a push. And we'll certainly see how that grinds out between them and USC if either of them are for real and uh, and the committee will make a usual Pac-12 decision on on that whole fiasco. But um, I mean, yeah, I think you got to give it to TCU. TCU has earned it. What do you think about, um, I mean, and this kind of leads into my pump the brakes, but uh, what do you think about TCU? Next week, uh, let me expand. Next week uh, in uh, Texas. Um, I don't know. To, uh, <laughs> to answer your question, uh, I think Texas will win that game. But I also, I think that at this point in the season, teams kind of show you who they are. I'm a big believer in that. We've seen that with Michigan, right? Like we've they've and we've seen that with Bama, right? With the penalties and stuff. It's like at this point in the season, we kind of know who teams are. And TCU is a team that likes to win close games, you know, get down and still win. You know, so I would not be surprised if TCU wins it 31 to 27 somehow. Uh but I think that we're going to I think we're going to see Texas win it. I think Texas is uh, improving on a week-to-week basis. And, I mean, I, for, to be honest, I hope we see Texas win it because at, at this point, any team with zero or one loss, if you're a Michigan fan, you, you need to root for them to lose because we want, we want absolute chaos at the top because we want the one seed if we go undefeated. And if we, if we do drop a game, we want to have a shot at being one of the top four teams. 
So I know that uh, Texas is favored despite having some losses on their schedule, but uh, uh, rolling right into our pump the brakes segment, if you're all right with that, Mike, I have uh, TC. Let's do it. I have TCU knocking out uh, tech, knocking out those expectations of Texas and winning the game uh, and staying securely in that top four argument. So it sounds to me like uh, like hopefully you're riding with TCU. Well, I'm going to hit you with the pump the brakes, and here's why. Um, I know you didn't say TCU is going to win the Big 12 and be undefeated at, at the end of the year. You, said, you just said they're going to beat Texas, but I'm pumping the brakes on everybody. That's, I, I heard Kirk Herbstreet on game day this week. They were talking about the CFP, and they're like, yeah, an undefeated TCU is going to be there. And they, they just kind of like assume, like now that TCU has risen to the top, that they're going to stay there. I'm very confident that TCU is going to lose a game. Um, it might, it might come, it might come in the the Big Twelve championship. But I'm sorry, I, I don't think a team that's given up the kind of points that they've given up this year, and that's been in as many shootouts as they've been in this year, they're going to lose a game. And so Texas is one of those games that I, I feel very strongly they could could lose and and maybe should lose. So I'm going to hit you with a pump the brakes. It's certainly uh, it's- now being the I was just going to say, being the terrible co-host that I am, I didn't prepare anything for Pump the Break. So it's good. This is going to be one-sided this week. So if you got anything else, hit me with them. No, you're good. And I appreciate your uh, your perspective on TCU, obviously. I mean, I, I they're poised to lose that game. You know what I mean? Like, I took one look at it on the scoreboard, and I was like, they're going to be favored to lose this game. So... Uh, It'll be interesting. I mean, we'll we'll see when it happens. But I'm hoping for TCU to enter and stay in the playoff conversation. I mean, really just hope for also for hope that they're a beatable opponent for Michigan, I feel in my eyes. So uh, I'm hoping TCU just kind of rides it out, keeps winning, takes down Texas, wins the Big 12. And uh, and gets into the playoff, and then Michigan throttles them and wins a national championship. But uh, those are my dreams. My other pump the brakes is uh, is we've seen some inconsistencies with the offense this year, and I want to know why not just throw caution to the wind, line Donovan Edwards up at wide receiver. And just let that guy and JJ do what they do on like 75% of the plays of the game. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not gonna pump the brakes on this one. I'm gonna say keep driving because that sounds attractive. It sounds nice. Uh, you know, like let's do what works. But I do think some of the mystique of Donovan Edwards is the fact that he is a running back. And that when a lot of teams will throw a, a running back out wide and not really use them, it's kind of a gadget distraction type thing. And when we throw our running back out wide, we're, we're sending him down the field, right? As like as like the the first option on the route tree. Um, so I think uh, psychologically for a defense, when they're like Roman Wilson, Ronnie Bell, Cornelius Johnson, the DBs are like the ball could be coming at any moment. But I think when they line up and they, and they and Donovan has been playing running back all game and he, and then he's out wide and you got Schoonmaker kind of you know on the line or in the slot and you've got Roman and you know 
I, th- I think psychologically, Donovan's a little bit of an afterthought, right? Like they're kind of they're kind of scoping, like what you know, what are we doing here? And Donovan's just he kind of sneaks out there. So I think if we just left him out there, it, it, we, it might lose a little bit of that surprise uh, element. Um, that's just that's just my take. So I'm I'm not pumping the brakes because I'd love to see it, but there's that's the reason why I think uh, one of the reasons why we might not see that. It almost is kind of a, a little bit of a mystique to that, you know. It's almost as if teams not looking out for it all the time is what makes it most effective. You know, I'd love to think it's just all Donovan running out there and getting open because when I see him in the game, here's where I'm coming from. When I see him in the game, I have to assume the ball's going to him. It always goes to him when he lines up at wide receiver. So my thought is the other teams have to know that the ball's going to him. And uh, and sure enough, on like 90% of throws, I feel like it does when the guy lines up at wide out. So at this point, I feel like it's just an interesting conversation topic. You know, he's he's so effective when teams spy him, they see him coming. He still catches it. He still scores touchdowns. One of the only receiver on our team that scores touchdowns. Um, but uh, it's it's. Excellent to watch. I love whether they keep it under wraps or whether they unleash him. Donovan Edwards is a great running back or wide receiver. Yeah, I mean, he gets open. There's no there's no argument there. The guy gets open. Um, all right, moving on. You know, do you, you got anything for us for by the numbers this week? Any numbers that stuck out to you? Um, really just the number that everybody's been throwing around on social media, which is Michigan ha- or Michigan's ridiculous second half domination of its last four opponents of a score of 100 to three. And that I uh, would just echo to any naysayer of Michigan football in, uh, in 2022, just because they just play that slow, suffocating style of play in the first half, hypes teams up, leads them to believe that they've won the game at the half. And then just t- it's almost like every team is Michigan's little brother at this point because they're just letting all of them uh, steal the basketball, you know what I mean, and taking it back from them. So, I mean, I just uh, the second half domination of 100 to three over the last four games has just been. Uh, that's an incredible stat to see. It's special. Yeah, it's special. I agree with that. My number this week for by the numbers is 2.9%. So this this number represents ESPN's FPI percent chance for Nebraska to win the game next week. Um, I don't like this number. And let, let me tell you why. That is a crazy low number. I don't know how often you, you've looked at ESPN FPI, but when you're facing another Big Ten opponent that's like not great, it's usually like 80-20 or if, if, if we're playing like Northwestern, it's like 90-10 or something. Like FPI, is, you know, it, it realistically knows on any given day a team with talent can show up and win the game. I, I, I was just curious, so I looked at this number yesterday. They're giving Michigan a 90, what is that? What's, 97.1% chance of winning that game against Nebraska next week. To me, that's just like so freakishly low that I don't like it. I'm like, what, what are we even doing here? Like that Nebraska still has a bunch of talented guys. And so, you know, in a way it makes me feel like, okay, you know, 
that that's a really encouraging stat for us to just blow them out next week. But it's also like I don't know. It's still you know it, it's Nebraska we're talking about. Like we're we're still gonna have to show up. Yeah, obviously, and uh, and their their fans um, get up for Nebraska. You know what I mean? They'll travel or they'll pack the stadium. It doesn't matter. So you can always count on some Nebraska fans to show up, no matter what, to support their team. Um, I mean, it's just statistically, we'll see. I know their quarterbacks like thrown damn near just as many interceptions as touchdowns this year. Uh, they've got a good, they've got a, a decent running back in uh, Anthony Grant, who uh, who's had some good games, but not great games against good competition. And uh, and many Michigan fans of the last decade have had those days that they remember as well. So uh, they're they're they've shown that they can be good, but uh, just not against great competition. Michigan obviously presents great competition, but I'm kind of with you. I don't want to be in a position where we're tied with Nebraska at halftime and leaving myself susceptible to all of that chatter and those fucking loudmouth fans that come out of nowhere like, oh, Michigan's tied at halftime with <laughs> Nebraska. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> well, okay, you know, we, we've gone a little over this week, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up because I, I got to get to baby and wife time. That's kind of what my Sundays look like now. But, uh, you know, there are a couple things that I do want to talk about next week on the pod. The the first is basketball. I want to start talking about basketball because, uh, and we don't have to get into it, but Jet Howard in the exhibition, he looked good. And and not only not only him, but Kobe Bufkin looks improved. And but anyway, let, let me let me stop myself. We'll we'll talk a little bit about some basketball. But the the first game is Monday, so we'll we'll definitely work that into the show next week. And then also, I'm excited to tell you the story about how I spread my dad's ashes at the big house during the Michigan-Michigan State game. It's a, it's a really cool uh, story about, you know, I'm, I'm a lifelong Michigan fan because of my dad who passed away last year. And uh, so I'm going to make some space for that next week. So that'll be really cool. Um, but we'll save that for next week so if for anybody listening definitely uh tune in to next week's episode it should be really cool and, and have a lot of really good stuff i'm michael smeltzer you can follow me at wolverine cron on on twitter that's wolverine chronicle and uh matt where can people find they you can find me at maze crusader or maze com. all right Well, I'll get with you next week, my friend. Let's definitely beat Nebraska and have fun watching some basketball in the meantime. uh, It's always good chatting it up with you. and, And as always, go blue. Go blue.